You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Uh, I have to say it is so good to be back in this spot this week. Um, I, I... love going and visiting other churches uh, and, and getting to, to speak to them and opening God's Word for them. I love having other uh, pastors and elders from other churches come and see what God is doing here and experience what God is doing here and for you to get to hear from them. Uh, but the thing that I love the most is getting to be here with this body of believers, uh, that getting to grow with you, getting to see you grow, uh, that, that just, there's, that nothing can come close to that. And so I just, I love that. And um, as I gather with you every Sunday, I always find it awe-inspiring to think this thought, that God is assembling this unique group of believers to be a local expression of His body at this time for His purposes. Like like that thought, if you just just think about all of the different lives that we lead each week and and all of the different personalities and experiences that that we have had in our lives and all the backgrounds that we come from, like that thought just blows my mind. That like a master craftsman, the Lord is assembling His church. He's assembling this masterpiece. He's assembling this expression of His body right here. And I even think that of when people are are visiting our church. And and I don't ever know who's going to stay and and who's going to find a different church. But the one thing that I do know is that the job is not ultimately in the person visiting's hands or even in my hands or anybody else's hands. It's ultimately in the Lord's hands. That that He is the one assembling His church. And our job is simply to, to follow Christ's lead together so that we can grow more like Him together. And He may add some to this body. He may uh, move some people away. He may even call others who have been here a long time to go and to, to start a new work somewhere else. But He is the one doing it. And one of His primary purposes in arranging the parts of his body according to the word of God is so that his church will be the visible manifestation of Christ on earth at this time a more uh, that's really what a body is the the visible manifestation of someone And, and so as you look at me talking to you this morning you can't see my soul Uh, You can't see my heart. What you can see is my flesh and blood talking to you. And and, and so I'm more as a person than flesh and blood, but my body is the visible manifestation of who I am. And the church, and specifically local churches, are the visible manifestations of Christ on earth during this present age. He is empowering churches. He is enlivening churches to show who He is and what He has done. And that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. 
Maybe you're like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, like the church is by no means a good or accurate representation of Christ on earth. I mean, the church is not God. It's nowhere near as perfect. Uh, it doesn't love as purely as he does. Uh, people are regularly and legitimately hurt by the church. And so if the church is the visible manifestation of Christ, uh, I'm not really sure I even want Christ. If that's, what, if that's who he is. And we have to recognize that we live in this tension. That we don't always live up to who Christ says we are. And yet we have this calling and this identity that is already ours in him. See, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his body. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is not ashamed of his body. And neither should we be ashamed. But this metaphor does set the direction and the standard for how we strive to represent him in the world, right? And so we better ask, like, like what is it supposed to look like for us to be the body of Jesus Christ? What what does this look like? If, If this is who God is making us, then what does this look like in practical, everyday living as the church of Jesus Christ. So just to set some vision for you as to why we're talking about this right now, uh, we just wrapped up a series on what it looks like to abide in Christ as individuals. And, And what does it look like to receive our personal source of life and power and vitality from our personal union with our loving Savior? That was the beginning part of this year. And now for the next month, we're going to study uh, what does it mean to receive our source of life and power and vitality from Christ together? What does it mean to be the body of Christ together, enlivened by His Spirit, representing Him to the world? And we're going to find that it means that we would grow in Christ-like maturity through serving one another as stewards of God's powerful grace. That's going to be up on the screen for you. That's our our goal, our vision for this series, that that during this time in God's Word, we would grow in Christ-like maturity through serving one another as stewards of God's powerful grace. That's what Jesus wants for His body, the church. And if we have put our faith in Jesus, we then have received the powerful grace of God in our lives, both for initial salvation and for growing in spiritual maturity. And to grow together as the body of Christ means that Jesus would be the standard of maturity that we're seeking. That happens according to the scriptures as we serve one another, as we steward the grace of God that we've been given. So uh, just a couple places that we see this in the scriptures. Uh, We're going to talk about many of them throughout this series, but Ephesians chapter 4 instructs us in this way. It's up on the screen as well. Uh, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. You see where I'm getting this, this vision statement now from? From the scriptures, our goal is to grow 
in Christ-like maturity through serving one another as stewards of God's powerful grace. Now the theological term that we sometimes use for how this happens, this stewardship of grace, is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And as soon as I say that word spiritual gifts, uh, a million ideas may enter into all of your different minds. A lot of people might start to get a little bit uncomfortable. Like, what's, like where's this going to go? Oh, man, like spiritual gifts. Now we're getting into the weird stuff, right? And, and uh, some of the uh, more, like on the extreme conservative side of, of where we're coming from, uh, the, maybe the very word spiritual gifts makes you break out in hives. Uh, or, or maybe it, it makes you want to, charge the pulpit with your Bible and start reading a John MacArthur sermon for me. Others, on the other end of the spectrum, are wondering why nobody has spoken in tongues at Oak Hill since you started coming. Like, like what's going on with this church? Is it even spirit-filled? And That's just one of the uniquenesses of being a non-denominational church plant of only 11 and a half years old, is that we, we kind of have people from different backgrounds and different understandings of these things, and Uh, Some of you have been part of churches in the past that have used the spiritual gifts to abuse the people in their care. Others are afraid that too much emphasis on spiritual gifts will turn into proud posturing and boasting. Still others are just confused by the whole topic and would just kind of rather ignore it for something a little lighter. Can we just go with like a little lighter sometimes, Pastor Ben? No. But today uh, and throughout this series, we want to bring some clarity on this whole subject of spiritual gifts and really what it means to be the body of Christ because the Spirit of God is the one who enlivens the body of Christ. He gives its members gifts so that the body matures, so that we would represent Christ on the earth together. And so, so really, here's the big question that we need to start out with as we begin this series this morning. Uh, how can we know if the Holy Spirit is giving life to this local body of believers? Today we have a, a big question instead of a big idea. We're going we're gonna to seek to answer this big question throughout. How can we know if the Holy Spirit is giving life to this local body of believers? Because there is so much confusion and because this calling is so important, we have to get this question right. How can we know if the Holy Spirit is giving life to this local body of believers? And if you're visiting today and you're looking for a church home, that that should be a question that you're asking very seriously. If you're part of this church body, uh, you should be very concerned that the Holy Spirit is actively working in our midst and you should be regularly checking on that. And, and if you've been here for some time, but you've not yet committed as a member, you're not yet active in serving others in this body, I, I want you to be confident that you can depend on the power of the Spirit to fully participate in the body of Christ. And so your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Before we read, uh, let me just give you some context. Uh, Paul had originally established this church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He had stayed there for about a year and a half, which is longer than any other church that he stayed at on his second missionary journey. Um, But as he was uh, 
frontier missionary and always you know, pursuing new ground, uh, he had moved on. And at the time he's writing 1 Corinthians, he's now on his third missionary journey. He's camped out in the city of Ephesus, uh, which he was there for about three years, establishing the local body of believers there. Uh, the, it seems that, according to chapter 7, verse 1, he had received a, port, a report from the Corinthian church, from the household of Chloe, while he is in Ephesus, uh, and, and this report had some questions in it or some concerns, some things that concerned him in it. And the Corinthian church was in this state of, of massive, massive unhealth. There was massive confusion, massive disunity, and they needed the outside voice of the apostle to speak into it. There was, they were confused about leaders. They were confused about the resurrection. They were confused about marriage and sexuality. They were confused about idolatry. They were playing favorites and putting themselves first. And it seems from Paul's response that they generally misunderstood what it means to be spiritual. That that seems to be the primary problem that's underlying all the other problems. Uh, They don't understand what makes a church or its individual members, spiritual. They thought that certain gifts made them more spiritual than others, and they were proud, and they were unloving, and they were disorderly in their gatherings. And so, so Paul writes this letter to set them straight in so many different areas, and he's constantly calling them back to, what is a spiritually minded, spiritually filled person look like? How how can we know if the Holy Spirit is actively at work in a church? So look at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Just stop there for a second. Uh, Those words, now concerning, uh, tells us that Paul is switching topics in chapter 12. And he's actually referring back to a question that was in their report from Chloe's household. If you were uh, working through the the We Are the Body reading plan and reading 1 Corinthians this week, you might have noticed that he uses the same words now concerning uh, in chapter 7, verse 1, where he mentions the report from Chloe's household, and then again in chapter 8, verse 1, and now here in chapter 12. He's setting up this topic that's, that's really so critical to uh, being the body of Christ, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Okay. Now we're ready to read the whole thing. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. 
to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So how can we know if the Holy Spirit is giving life to this local body of believers? Uh, You can know the Holy Spirit is at work when the worship of Jesus is clear and exclusive. That is the first and most important indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, The worship of Jesus is clear and exclusive. Paul is saying, I I want you to be informed about spiritual gifts, but I'm going to have to start right here. Uh, You have to understand the Spirit's priority. The Spirit's priority is not the gifts themselves. The Spirit's priority is that Jesus would be confessed and worshipped as the true and only Lord. Notice in verse 2, he reminds them of this time that before they were believers, when they worshipped mute idols. Idols that could affect nothing by the word of their power. See, the city of Corinth was devoted to a pantheon of Greek and now Roman gods, and their worship included sacrificing food to idols and having relations of sorts, you know what I mean, with the temple priests and priestesses. And already in this book, Paul has said, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit together, and your bodies are little temples of the Holy Spirit and you have no business relating to temple prostitutes and participating in idol worship. He wants to emphasize that these idols are markedly different and infinitely inferior to the true God. The idols are are mute, whereas the Holy Spirit gives words, He gives utterance. Later Paul is going to talk about the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge and and prophecy. Uh, Whereas the idols are mute, the Holy Spirit is clear. Aren't you glad that we have a clear Holy Spirit? We always think of the Holy Spirit as so mysterious. No, He's clear. He's always pointing us to this one truth that Jesus is Lord. He's always consistent in demonstrating that message to his people. We talked about this on February 9th from John 16, that, that John, uh, speaking the words of Jesus, uh, shows that the Holy Spirit's primary job is to point people to Jesus. Not, not to draw attention to any other person, not even to draw attention to himself. Whatever the, the Father and the Son give him, that is what he reveals. He draws attention to Jesus. He never leads anyone to say the opposite. Jesus Jesus is accursed. He's never confusing on who Jesus is. He always leads people to declare the clear message, Jesus is Lord. I want you to notice this other contrast with the mute idols. Um, There are many idols, it's plural, but there is only one Lord. 
and his physical representation on earth is not in idols made by human hands, but in people he created in his own image, enlivened by his own spirit, and now he's bringing together to point not to themselves, but to the true Lord who is Jesus Christ. So we don't think about people worshiping idols much in, in our day-to-day life in Solanco. And um, yet when we were in Kuala Lumpur, we went to the Batu Caves. And uh, this is the holiest site in Hinduism outside of India. Back in the late 1800s, an Indian merchant uh, looked at these beautiful limestone caves, at this beautiful wonder that was created by God, and, and this merchant decided that this should be a temple site dedicated to one of the Hindu idols, the Lord Murugan, the god of war. That's an image of the Lord Murugan there on the left, the tall statue. Uh, he's a 140-foot tall concrete statue painted gold made in 2006. He's, he's made of concrete. Dwight, how do you like that? <laughs> and all around him are all of these other little statues and, and all these other altars representing lesser Hindu gods. Hundreds of them, just hundreds of them. And, and so every year at the festival of Taipusam, worshippers hike those steps that you see there next to the idol, uh, it's, that's quite a hike, we did it. Um, but but they, worship, they do it for worship, and um, they, they do it with these offerings, you can see that in the right picture, hanging in hooks in their skin off their back, mutilating their bodies to appease this idol. And he never talks, he never moves, he is a mute idol. And our Lord isn't anything like that. He is the one true Lord who has authority over wars and everything else in the cosmos. He is exclusive in His worship. He would never share His temple with 500 other idols. He is not visually represented by a concrete, lifeless statue in front of which people destroy their bodies but He is represented by the life-filled body of believers who come together and worship Him alone. And you can know that the Holy Spirit is at work in a body of believers when the worship of Jesus is clear and exclusive. So let me ask you this. Do you clearly and exclusively worship Jesus? Or does your heart look like the Batu Caves? See, our our idols may not be 140-foot monuments to a god of war surrounded by hundreds of other little statues. Our idols may be the 140 Instagram followers in front of whom we distort our image to gain their approval. Our idols may be the 140 activities we chase after every week to keep us from having to face the fearful silence of sitting quietly before the Holy Lord of the universe. Our idol may be the 1,400 square foot home that we throw all of our attention and money and affection into getting it just right. 
The idols of our hearts can be as vast and as numerous as the images in the Batu Caves. And the Holy Spirit wants to tear them down and clear them away so that we may say with full hearts, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He died for me in my place for my sin. He died for you too. He rose again to give new life in Him. He's the one seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the one coming back to rule and reign forevermore. He's the reason that we even have a place in His body to begin with. And and I want to be so clear, if you do not worship Jesus as Lord exclusively, then you are not part of His body. You don't have a place there, and you can, and you can turn, and you can worship Him alone, but you need to turn from the other idols of of your life, and you need to turn to worship Him alone. The hallmark of the body of Christ is the clear and exclusive worship of Jesus. And we can't come together in unity when our hearts are divided between different gods who are just mute idols. Every part of the body needs to make this their highest and holiest passion. I want you to notice how I even worded this point. Uh, It's the worship of Jesus. We need to be clear about His name. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I once was talking with somebody about a religious event that they attended, and, and I wasn't convinced that it was a great religious event, and and uh, they were trying to convince me by saying, uh, well, we even worshipped there. We didn't mention the name of Jesus at all. Nobody would have done that, but, but we worshipped there. And I, Who are you worshipping if you weren't worshipping Jesus? And, and, and if, if you can't all get on the same page about that, do you want to be worshipping with that body? Uh, personally, when I was a teenager, I, I actually used to feel like the name of Jesus sounded too little kiddish like Jesus was the name that you used in Sunday school but in all the other places the adults around me seemed to be a little bit more vague about him maybe they called him Christ more often God sometimes the man upstairs please don't say that but is is Jesus the one who is fully God and man, the one who reveals the Father, is Jesus the one you're proclaiming and declaring as Lord? His worship must be clear and exclusive. And as His body, we must be on the same page about that. We've got to be on the same page about that. That's why our new mission statement that we're proposing, our first two words are proclaim Jesus, period. Proclaim Jesus. That is our highest priority. That is the Holy Spirit's primary objective. So how can we know if the Holy Spirit is is giving life to this local body of believers uh, when the worship of Jesus is clear and exclusive? Secondly, we can know the Holy Spirit is active when the work of the body is diverse and unified. When the work of the body is diverse and unified. So once Paul establishes the Holy Spirit's objective in giving spiritual gifts, he can now turn to the gifts and the work itself. Uh, Look down at verse 4 in your Bibles. Now there are varieties of gifts, 
but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So did you notice the the two words that were repeated there uh, over and over again? Go ahead and say them out. You see it? Louder. Varieties and same. I heard it over here. Same. Varieties and same. Paul wants to emphasize the, the diversity of the gifts and the types of work that is accomplished, but, but even more he wants to emphasize the unity of the source. Varieties and same. Diversity and unity. And so he uses this word variety with three different other words. The first word is, is gift. The Greek word is charismaton. I don't normally give you Greek words, uh, and, and I don't pronounce them well. But sometimes it helps to be able to see how the, the, the words work together. And, and uh, it comes, this one comes from the root word charis, or, which means grace. And so charisma, or the plural charismaton, means gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. Specifically, uh, this is the, a, a gift of a spiritual empowerment that is totally undeserved. It's of grace. And it motivates the believer in a certain direction. See, the grace of God is always motivating and empowering and mobilizing believers. And by design, that happens, Paul says, in a variety of ways. Primarily, Romans 12 would describe these types of motivations most most clearly. We're going to study that in two weeks. And those motivations then, then mobilize us to a variety of services or ministries. Uh, that's the second word that comes in a variety, uh, service. The Greek word is diakonian, or diakonos would be the root. And it's where we get our English word for deacons. Most often it's translated ministries, or ministry in the New Testament. And it's the role that we play in the church. Ephesians 4 describes some of these uh, types of roles, and we're going to see that in three weeks. 1 Corinthians tells us that there are a variety of roles a variety of ways that we can and must serve one another. And within these roles, there's also a variety of activities. That's the third word that comes in a variety, activities. See it there? The Greek word is energematon. Energematon. It's it's where we get our word energy. Right? And later in this passage, the same root word is translated working and empowered. There are a lot of different motivations, a lot of different roles, a lot of different activities, works that happen within those roles. That's primarily the focus of the gifts in this passage that we're studying today. These, These manifestations of God's power. So think about a specific role in the church. Just for ease, we're going to think about our elders, right? They're, they're shepherds, they're pastors. And so, so think about two of our elders, um, Dwight and Alden, right? And, and the activities that consume Dwight's time 
in the role of elder are different than the activities that consume Alden's time in the role of elder, and yet they are both great elders. Um, they, they even come to the role of eldering with slightly different spiritual motivations that are part of the, the Spirit giving us this plurality. It keeps us, keeps us together and, and not any one of us being too high above the others. We're, we're at this together and it's unity that comes from diversity. So there are a variety of gifts, uh, these motivations. There's a variety of services or ministries. There's a variety of activities or manifestations. But in the midst of diversity, we see this incredible unity. And Paul says the, the gifts come from the same Spirit. Of course, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, right? And then he says the ministries come from the same Lord. I remember just two verses earlier. Who was described as Lord? Say it. Jesus, Jesus is referred to as Lord. And then he says that these activities come from the same God. Most often in the New Testament, God is a direct reference to the Father. So Spirit, Son, Father. One God in three persons. We, we call that Trinity. The, the purest form of unity in heaven and earth. And our diversity flows from the unity of the Godhead to produce unity in His people. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit is at work when the body of Christ is diverse and unified, reflecting God Himself. So it's like our worship team this morning. Come on up, worship team. You've got you to be quick on this one, okay? So you, you had... You know, Dan up here uh, playing his guitar, and you have Ashley here singing, and, and Amy was, you know, playing the keys, and, and Daniel's over there, uh, you know, playing his drums. And so they have a, a variety of abilities. They have a variety of roles that they play on the team. Uh, they have a variety of activities that they're doing to help lead us in worship. Uh, but the thing that holds them together is their common song. And so just imagine, actually don't imagine, experience what happens when Dan starts playing uh, King of Heaven, right? Right. Now Amy, she's like, but I don't want to do that. I want to play Yes, I Will. And, and Daniel's like, no, 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 I really like the bridge of No One Higher. And Ashley's like, but I love the chorus of Cornerstone. It's chaos. That's chaos, right? Okay, so now what happens when we're all in the same song? Play just the, the chorus of Cornerstone together. so much I did make them practice that this morning because I'm like I can't just throw that at them 
But when, he, when the Holy Spirit is at work, He enlivens a body that is a diverse and unified and pointing to Jesus, the cornerstone. He is Lord, Lord of all. So let me ask you this. Do you appreciate the diversity that is in the giftings and the roles and the activities of the body? See, I think so often we're like, like, why can't more people just be passionate about the thing that I'm passionate about? Well, why can't more people just get on my thing? And the Spirit's like, um, because that's why you are here. Because that's why I gifted you that way. Uh, that's your gracious gift so that you can contribute to the body in that way and, and even remind the others that this is part of their calling. And that's why you're passionate about it. Or maybe we're like, you know what? I really want a certain role in the church. I want to teach. I want to teach a class. I just really want to teach a class. I want to sing on the worship team, right? And God's like, you know what? That's not the role that I have for you. The role I have for you is to visit that elderly saint in the nursing home that's behind the scenes. Maybe we're thinking, I just want to speak as empowered as my gospel community leader. I, I, he's just so eloquent. Every time he speaks, my, my heart melts and the Holy Spirit convicts me. And I just wish I could do that. <laughs> but what you bring to the body is equally valuable, though maybe not as visible. And even more, it's, it's not even really about your value at all, but about the value of the God who empowers them all. We need to learn to appreciate and celebrate the diversity in the body because it points to the unity found only in our God. Let me try this this week. Identify somebody in the church who clearly has a different gift than you. And write them a note of encouragement. Maybe send them a text, write them a card, uh, give them a hug if that won't make them feel uncomfortable. Appreciate them. How can we know if the Holy Spirit is giving life to his local body of believers when the worship of Jesus is clear and exclusive? When the work of the body is diverse and unified? Finally this, uh, the workers of the body are numerous and surrendered. The workers of the body are numerous and surrendered. So the the diverse, unified body of Christ is empowered by the same God who's working in everyone. Do you you see that there at the end of verse 6? He's working in everyone. Everyone. So tell me, uh, what percentage of people, if you were to label that with a percentage, uh, does everyone mean? 100%. 100% is what everyone means, right? And so if you're part of the body of Christ, which means if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, then you are empowered by the grace of God, uh, not necessarily the same way as the person next to you, but you are empowered and you are responsible to contribute to the body. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, 
the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So as we look at these particular verses, uh, everyone wants to put the emphasis on the gifts themselves, right? Like, like why this list? And what do they all mean? And do they even still exist? And you know, we got, with all the questions start spinning around. And, and listen, those questions can be important, right? But I want you to see in this passage, in, in Paul's purpose of writing, they're secondary in emphasis. They're secondary in emphasis. Because the emphasis here is not on the gifts themselves, but on the giver and on the numerous ways he empowers people. Each is a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a revealing of his work and who he is. And then in the list, Paul keeps repeating, uh, through the Spirit, the same Spirit, one Spirit, The repetition shows us where the emphasis is. Uh, Behind each spiritual activity in the church is the same Holy Spirit. And the Corinthian church thought that your degree of spirituality was measured by the type of gift that you have. This is still taught in a lot of churches today. They would say maybe if you haven't spoken in tongues yet, you aren't as spiritual as the rest of us. Listen, that is the exact same thing that Paul is correcting in 1 Corinthians. This is, this is basically the passage on the gift of tongues, and he's correcting that thought, but so many are getting the idea that this is somehow still more spiritual. It's not about the specific gift that you have. It's about the source. Even in our churches, sometimes people still get the impression that maybe uh, the teaching gifts are more important than, uh, say, the hospitality gifts and you know, hosting somebody for a meal and, and sharing that with them and making them feel welcomed and loved and knowing the love of Christ that way. And so we have this tendency to emphasize the gift rather than the giver, but, but listen, spiritual gifts says a whole lot more about the giver than it does the recipient. Remember what, what the definition of gift was, right? It's a grace gift, a gift of grace. You didn't deserve it. It says a whole lot more about the giver than the recipient. Spiritual gifts manifest His power, His character, His priority of calling people to faith in Jesus. And He does that in numerous ways. This list seems to be a sample of activities and manifestations that the Corinthians were experiencing. But notice this in verse 11. uh, He apportions them each to individually. I'm sorry. He apportions them to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. So it's not about the gift that we wish we had. It's not about the one that we we find most fascinating. It's not about the one that we think would show the power of God most clearly. Like we just know that automatically. It's about His sovereign choice. And it's about our surrender to His will. When the Holy Spirit is at work, the workers of the body are numerous and surrendered. Look at the ways that that Paul says the Holy Spirit could work. 
These are some of the activities that he mentioned earlier in verse 6. They're manifestations of the Spirit at the time He chooses. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list. This is a a sample. Uh, But it's to show the supernatural work of the Spirit and to relate it to the Corinthians' experience. These are some of the things that they saw going on in their midst. That's not to say that we can add to it or subtract from it. We simply learn from it. And so first he mentions the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. We don't know much about the difference between those two gifts. Uh, Wisdom we know is knowledge applied. And knowledge generally refers to a heightened knowing of God, a heightened relationship with God, where there's a, a nearness like Moses had with God, right? And people were given this supernatural ability to speak out of this wisdom, to speak out of this knowing of God. And then to another, he says, he gives this manifestation of faith. I imagine this is the person who acts in these really bold ways. They take really big leaps of faith. Or, or maybe they're given uh, this supernatural faith during a really hard trial in life and the, the people watching them are just like, wow, how do you have that kind of faith? Answer, the Holy Spirit granted it to them. It was His choice and it, it says a lot more about Him than them and praise Him because He granted them this faith. To another, He gives gifts of healing. Now, this was not somebody, again, this is an activity, this was not somebody who was always able to heal, but rather someone who, in the time of the Spirit's sovereign choice, was granted to heal someone. Again, uh, they, they aren't called to follow after that person. So he's not calling someone a healer here, like this is a role in the church. If it becomes about so-and-so's healing ministry, we can know that it's not of the Spirit. The Spirit makes much of Jesus, not Himself, not even, and certainly not the person with the gift. But God does heal people. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit as He wills. To another is given the manifestation of, miracle, of working miracles. Again, this isn't about the person. It's about the Spirit manifesting the glory of God. And whenever He wants to work a miracle, He can. He does miracles all the time. We just don't always recognize them as such. He's not obligated to do miracles, but He can. To another is given prophecy. And this is, the word prophecy literally means forth-telling. Declaring the authoritative word of God. Prophecy is the only gift that's mentioned in all four, or all the, I'm sorry, all the spiritual gift lists. And this would always, always be consistent with the scriptures that the Holy Spirit Himself is the one who inspired. And it would always be perfectly accurate in order for it to be true prophecy. To another is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. There's a gift of discernment that is supernatural and wise so that that this church is not led astray by people trying to deceive them, claiming, I have this spiritual gift. Don't you see? 
There's got to be some discernment if you're going to have all these gifts active, right? Praise the Lord for the gift of discernment. Finally, there are gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And according to Paul, you, you, you can't have one without the other in, in the gathered body. Tongues is believed to be a known language unknown to the one speaking. Chapter 14 seems to indicate that it may not be known to anyone in the room. It may be the language of, uh, some sort of language of prayer to God, but that's why in the gathering it would need to be interpreted so that the body is built up. Paul told the Corinthians that if there's no one to interpret their tongues, they should remain silent. And this is, this is the one that, that really gets most people worked up, this idea of tongues, but, but it's really interesting. Uh, Paul does everything he can to diminish the stigma around this gift in chapters 12 to 14 because they had made far too much of it. Now my goal in this sermon is not to persuade on the cessation or continuation of any of these gifts because I, I don't believe that Paul is clear on when that would happen. He does say that they would cease, but he doesn't say when. The point of the passage is not ultimately on the gifts themselves, but on the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Each one. The workers are, are numerous. As He wills, the, the workers are surrendered to the will of God. And so let me sur- ask you this. Are you a surrendered worker? in the body of Christ? Are you a surrendered worker in the body of Christ? Are you first of all surrendered to the Holy Spirit? The the Spirit is leading you in what it looks like to follow Jesus as Lord. So it starts there. You have to be a follower of Jesus, right? If you're going to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you have to be worshiping Jesus and then following Him. So your time is not your time. Even the hour that you lost last night. Your desires are not ultimate. Your activities are not about you. His grace is not about your personal benefit, but the common good of the body. Are you surrendered to that fact? And then, are you a worker? Are you actively working in the power of the Spirit for the common good of the body? I love the fact that so many in this church serve as the body on a Sunday morning or in gospel communities or even in just life-on-life relationships. See, it's so often, and there are very few people who are not workers at all. But I also know that there are some who need to be gently and lovingly, I love you in this, challenged to a deeper commitment in this area. That the Holy Spirit wants us to use each one to do His work. Every believer that is emphasized in all the passages about the body of Christ, every believer, 100%, the picture of the body that we're going to see next week as we get into the next half of this chapter, uh, we're going to see that the body demonstrates God's desire for us to be members 
one of another, to be committed and devoted and mutually dependent upon one another. That's what it means to be the member of a local church. And at Oak Hill, we express that through formal church membership. And I know there are a number of people who have started the membership process. You've gone through the class, but you, 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 you kind of still need to finish the job, like still complete the process and make the commitment and, and dive all in. And the next five weeks are a great time to do that, if that's you. I want to be very, very careful here because I'm not trying to twist your arm into something that the Spirit isn't leading you to do. It's not a guilt trip time. But listen, if this is the place where you are growing as a worshiper of Jesus, and if you can look around and say, I can see the Spirit working, not, not, a, not perfectly, like the, we're not perfect in anything, but I can see the Spirit at work, then you, and you're acting as a part of this body, then you need to make that right commitment to one another. Don't, don't let it be about the unknowns of life. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be in a year. Neither do I. I mean, Lord willing, I'm here. Don't worry. <laughs> but, just right now, where does He have you? If it's here, then be here. And as we're devoted to one another then in membership, the Spirit wants us to serve one another in His power according to the grace that we've been given. And so as we work through this series, I hope that you're asking yourself the question, like what are the grace gifts that the Spirit has given me to benefit the body? What ministry role is He calling me to? What activities does He want to do through me as I fulfill those roles to show off the power of Jesus as Lord in my life? That might mean that you start serving in some new ways for those of you who aren't as active as you could be in ministry. Some of us might discover that the, the Spirit isn't calling us to do more, but to simply change the power and energy and motivation to seek Him for the things that we're already doing. Or maybe to even stop doing some things that He hasn't really called us to and we're feeling burnt out on. If it's greeting on a Sunday morning, are you doing it in the Spirit's power? If it's setting up hospitality or, or, or children's check-in or hosting a gospel community or rocking a baby in the nursery, are you doing it in the Spirit's power? Nothing that we do here together should be done in the power of the flesh and of self-will. The Spirit doesn't want a small amount of burned-out workers who are doing everything in their own power. He wants a numerous amount of surrendered workers who are doing His will and His power. Worship team can come. And as they do, I just want to say this, that I believe that by and large, based on these tests that we've looked at, this is a body where the Spirit is at work. And I believe that there's still more that He wants to do in us and through us. And so we need to ask the question for ourselves, how, how can we know? How can we know that this is, the Spirit is enlivening this body of believers? Is the worship of Jesus clear and exclusive? Is the work of the body diverse and unified? 
when the wor- or the workers of the body numerous and surrendered. I can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit does through these next weeks in His Word as He challenges us and calls us and trains us in these things as a church. Let's pray and seek Him, please. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that we have been given in Christ Jesus, first and foremost for our salvation. None of us deserve to be in your presence. None of us deserve to be the recipients of your awesome work. But you have done it all. You will finish it all. You will complete the work that you started in us and you will use each other to do it. And we thank you. So, Lord, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that this would not be my leading, my persuasion, my ability, but the power of your Holy Spirit coming upon hearts to transform. In the quietness of this moment, just take a a few moments to, to reflect and pray. Holy Spirit, how have you uniquely motivated me your body what part do I play here if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you have a role to play Holy Spirit how have you placed me in a specific role or a variety of roles to serve your people what role do you want me to enter Maybe what role do I need to give up so that I can do another better? Holy Spirit, how do you want to empower me for the work that you set before me? Dependent on you, I'm surrendered to you. Do what you want in my life. Lord, we know that you will build your church, that you will overcome the gates of the enemy because you have promised you will do that as we are surrendered to you. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.